0: Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend
1: Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption.
0: And this is my friend Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. is part two of our interview with Dr. Crawford and Karen Loritz. Please be sure to check out part one if you haven't had a chance to listen. We've got so much to cover today. I'm (laughs) so excited to be back here with you guys. Uh, We learned so much in the last episode. We're here with Crawford and Karen Loritz. Friends and mentors who we just value you so much and love the wisdom that you have to share. So I'd love to jump right in and just start talking about the concept of social justice being core to the gospel.
2: Yeah, well, you know, this is sort of a hot controversial issue right now uh in, in Christian circles. Is social justice core to the gospel? And uh here's my perspective on all of this. I think you have to be very careful. You know, all all truth. I had a mentor of mine tell me that uh, Crawford be very careful because all truth is seen in the center of biblical tension, meaning that the easiest thing to do is to react. And so, let me just say quickly: I don't like the term so much social justice. I prefer relational biblical righteousness okay. uh, because of the outworking of the gospel. Let me say very clearly: all a person needs to know about getting to heaven is found in the good news. First Corinthians 15, uh, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross in our place and for our sin. Rose again on the third day, he ascended to the Father. And all we have to do is return from our sin and believe in him, and we have the gift of eternal life. You don't have to go advocate for anybody. You don't have to get anybody out of prison. You don't have to visit them in prison. You don't have to be kind to people. You don't have to do any of that, all right? Now, having said that, however, mm-hmm. the gospel has transformational implications. Mm. And if those transformational implications are not seen and demonstrated, both Jesus himself and James says, you may not have been saved to begin yeah, with. Yes. So what, what I'm saying is don't go too far on this thing here. Don't make it so binary. Because Matthew 25 says, Jesus says, look, you didn't visit me in prison. You weren't kind. There wasn't compassion coming from your heart. You knew to do good, but you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. James says in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and back to Matthew 25, Jesus says, uh, I'm going to say to you on that day, depart from me. You never knew me. You go, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it means that what he's saying, he's not saying that these works— Will get you into heaven. But he is saying because you didn't do these works, maybe you didn't trust me to begin with. Mm. And the same thing in James mm. 2. So I think we gotta be careful now when we react to what's going on, and we wanna when I say, well, you know, you you know, you're saying you're saying that social justice is core to the gospel. No, we're not saying that social justice is core to people entering. Heaven and receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. But we are saying that relational righteousness, the living out of a gospel, mm-hmm. is a demonstration that you've had that relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're going to be held accountable for it.
3: Is that what the saying uh, "Who's my neighbor?" with the Good Samaritan? Oh,
2: absolutely. That's that's a good illustration because you know the whole story there is in the context. You had this Jewish lawyer; he wasn't a barrister, uh, a lawyer back then, that that referred to the fact that he was an expert in in the law, and and uh, and with, you know Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the the first five books of the Bible comes up to try to embarrass Jesus about who's your neighbor, and Jesus goes to a place. Well, he tells a story, and the guy in the story who is beaten up is obviously a Jew, and the Samaritan is a person that the mm-hmm. Jews couldn't stand. Mm-hmm. And yet the point of the story is, hey, buddy, don't make it so difficult. Your neighbor is any person whose needs you see and whose needs you can meet.
0: Mm-hmm. Period. So that really feeds into a question that I think a lot of people are asking right now. is like, how do we as Christians weed through all the political and social agendas associated with racial justice that maybe don't line up with our biblical values.
2: Stop letting it be something that you weed through. Love people. Mm. Love them. The image of God is stamped on every soul. Mm. And any person where that image is being damaged and hurt, Mm. you see, (laughs) power and privilege, they're not necessarily wrong. And so we have to use whatever power and whatever privilege that God has given to us to underscore the value and dignity of others. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. And compassion moves me that way. Mm -hmm. Don't make it so difficult. It's all love. And biblical love means that I disadvantage myself for the comfort of another. That's good. Mm -hmm. Biblical love is always sacrifice. And the problem that we have is that we love our ministries and we love what we're studying about other people. And we love what our positions are more than we love the people. Mm. Mm.
1: Sounds a little bit like the story of the Good Samaritan. Exactly. right? That lawyer was coming exactly. for a exactly. specific You, know,
2: you do sit there and try to, okay, this guy's bleeding here. Before you die, can you tell me uh, who you voted for? <laughs> Oh uh, uh, before before you expire here, can you tell me whether or not, you know, are you a communist or are you a capitalist? Now, if, if a person is hurting, don't overthink it. Now, I'm not talking about endorsing movements that are flat-out wrong, okay? People ask me all the time, well, Crawford, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? I tell them, I think Black Lives Matter. I differentiate between Black Lives Matter, and the ideology, and Black Lives Matter as a moral proposition. Good. There's a wow. difference between the two. And I think as Christians, we got to stop being binary.
1: Yes. You got to yes. stop
2: being binary. Stop insulting our intelligence by saying you can't make a distinction between the ideology and, and the nomenclature right. or, or well, the isn't proposition. It, it's just a
3: propaganda thing when somebody yeah. says, yes. oh, now, now, yeah, because yeah. My, my daughter got something that says, oh, you believe in this, they're against God and they're for this and for that. And he says, you're talking about the movement, or are you talking about the statement, Black Lives Matter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now they want to have a conversation that takes away what we're talking about that created in the image of God.
2: That's right. It's of the devil because it takes it away. Now, let me say clearly, you know, Black Lives Matter as an ideology is hellacious. If you go to their website, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you believe the the Bible, no way in the world can you embrace that ideology they want to get rid of the nuclear family they're underscoring a lot of behavioral stuff uh, and 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 lifestyles that are contradictory to what the scriptures teach got that however i'm just onry enough to say hey look let's stop letting the world take good language from us mm. yeah that's good yeah just redefine the term the term is wonderful mm. yes
1: and sadly it took someone else to bring that up that did not come from the church on you're on the supposed church. to love your
2: neighbor right yeah. right that didn't we should have been <laughs> the first people to <laughs> say that behind um, as usual right? exactly yes. so black lives matter they they matter and listen listen and i we say this not to make anybody feel guilty mm-hmm. historically our lives have not mattered we we have been not seen as valuable And this is not an emotional statement. My goodness. I mean, you don't even have to go back to slavery. Jim Crow. uh,
0: Check out our third episode on systemic racism, where we outline all of the things from 1619
2: on. Yeah, yeah. And from 1900 to the early 50s, you had approximately almost 4,000 lynchings. Mm, Awful. Mm. 4,000 lynchings. And I was six years old when I first felt the sting of racism. Mm. We were going from we were going from Newark, New Jersey, down to North Carolina to to a family reunion somewhere in Southern Virginia in the middle of the night. My father wanted to get he had to get gas. He wanted to get some coffee. my mother, and my sisters we were in the car, and he grabbed me and said, let's go to the restroom. I want to get some coffee and stuff. I could read at that mm-hmm. point. I was six years old, and I would never forget looking at the sign that said, colored served in rear. Mm-hmm. I couldn't process everything, but I knew two things. A, I knew I was colored, and B, I knew that serving in rear was not a box seat. And looking back on it, my father was one of the most, I mean, man of great integrity, strong man, and this kind of thing. And I felt his embarrassment. Mm. You know, even now, I'm 70 years old, and that grabs me to this day to see the hero of my life powerless. Mm-hmm. And so, so when you you use terms black lives matter, when we use that, you gotta understand what we're trying to say is that we're not saying that, you know, white lives don't matter, you know, Irish lives, don't, we're not saying that. Okay. So, and I think that's an insult when you when you come to that. It would be like if you were, uh, God forbid, you're you're standing there at the memorial service a funeral of your of your little girl, and you're 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 giving a tribute to your little girl. You're eulogizing her, and then someone comes up on the podium and and snatches the mic from you and says, you know, you know, really, all children's lives matter. Mm-hmm. How stupid is that? Yeah. You're not saying that all children don't matter. You're talking about your child.
0: We're coming around. He's hurting. Needs to be That's humanized right. and given right. dignity.
2: Let's just not be one dimensional or reactionary in our thinking. Denounce the ideology, and I denounce the ideology of the Black Lives Matters organization. It is horrible. It is horrible. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I say this without mincing words. If you're a follower of Jesus and you believe the Bible, ain't no way in creation you can you can underscore that. However. The the moral proposition is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Black lives do matter.
0: When what about the concept of critical race theory? Yeah, I yeah. think that's another one that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just go right in there. Is a a minute
2: overview. You. You. <laughs> you guys are pushing us in the deep <laughs> end of the pool. Yeah, I uh, and see this is another deal too. I, I, what I don't like is that uh, I don't like Christians assuming because. Other believers are talking about justice issues and we're talking about dignity issues and we're talking about these things that uh, then, then, you know, you start name calling. And I've had some conversations with some people who have accused some younger leaders that I know of being heavily influenced by critical race theory. And I know what they've written and I know what they stand for. And, I, and I've defended them. So that's absolutely not. That's not true. Mm-hmm. That is really not true. You got to be careful of using that pejorative. Sometimes we, we, we uh, whether we, you know, say, all oh, the gospel and social justice or you're, you're embracing Black Lives Matter as a movement or you're part of, you know, critical race theory. Sometimes we use that language because we're threatened and scared. Right. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Insecure. And we're insecure. And rather than thinking through what you're saying, uh, you're, you're, you're just listening to what somebody else who is a powerful Christian leader who happens to come up with their own glossary of terms and definitions and take a few Bible verses and then accuse everybody of that. You gotta be careful of that. Now, critical race theory is a dangerous thing in the sense that the origins of this ideology is mired in a sociological lens of society that has been influenced by Marxist paradigms. Right. Okay, and right. so there is the power language, the oppressed and the oppressor and that this whole issue of racism, this kind of thing, could not exist apart from a power dynamic. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some truth to that. There is some truth to that. However, you know, the problem that I have with critical race theory, uh, with the people who embrace that, is that they make a huge mistake. And the huge assumption that they make is that only the oppressor is sinful.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, both the oppressed and the oppressor are sinful. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason why all of this stuff, racism and all of this, you need to address it from a biblical perspective yes, you have to address mm-hmm. it not so much from a power perspective now, why do people take advantage of other folks why do people discount them why is it because their hearts are dark and the truth of the matter is the oppressed if you get rid of the oppressor and and you 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 share the wealth with the oppressed if his heart is not transformed he will become an oppressor mm.
3: right
0: when we see that in cancel culture yes, do we absolutely. we see it manifesting the other way absolutely if someone makes a mistake they're out that's there's right. no more opportunity which is anti-biblical as well that's
3: right right, right. We no
2: forgiveness st- that's yeah. right we all stand in the need for redemption and forgiveness yeah. this is just personally i don't like the oppressed and the oppressor uh language too much although oppression is a is a good term because it's used in the scripture
1: I was going to say, I mean, it sounds to me very much like the prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, like that is all that's about. (laughs) And God has
2: some very strong things to say about people who mistreat the poor (laughs) and the oppressed. And and having said that, you see, you can't a la carte your issues related to justice and life, okay? Mm -hmm. And as Christians, we have a tendency to a la carte those issues. In other words, we grab the ones that we pick and choose. Really, if you're pro-life, then that means you're pro-human justice. Yeah. Womb to tomb. Womb to tomb. That's right. right. And and pro-life absolutely means at least the, the, the teaching of life in the Scripture as it relates to justice of necessity means, number one, these three propositions, that the conceived must live. Number two, the living must be cared for. And number three, the poor and the oppressed must be defended. Wow. And if you don't practice these other two, you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Mm. That's good. I haven't heard it put that way before. You're That's pro-birth.
2: Yeah. And so you can't a la carte these issues. Mm-hmm. You just can't a la carte them. You've got to believe the totality of the Word of God. Mm. And then stop letting people do your thinking for you. Mm-hmm. And so well, you read somebody's blog about admiring and critical race theory or, oh, my goodness, you should never use Black We've been Lives accused Matter. of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Yeah, and you, 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 you make these pejorative statements about people because it's half-cocked. You read a blog, or you, you read an article, or you, you, somebody said something. Get your nose in the Bible.
0: When it goes back to the fear that you were talking yeah, about, when right. people throw those sort of things on you, it's almost like they're opting out of that biblical mandate to really think through the complicated aspects of, of
2: this. That, yes, exactly.
0: That it's a lot more mired and complex than just you're this or that. I've right. told
2: our sons and our daughters, but our boys especially, because they're in ministry, don't ever let anybody tell you how to think. Mm. You have a mind. You go to the Word of God. Let the Spirit of God read the book. Wrestle with it. If you read something that, you know, that, I mean, you don't know about, go back to the text itself and let the Spirit of God formulate your thinking.
3: Mm. That's the job of the Holy
0: Spirit. Amen. He does a pretty good job. So I've heard you talk about how people opt out of the biblical mandate for justice by making it political or emotional or social or some other issue instead of seizing the gospel opportunity inside of the issue. They're responding to the cultural issue.
2: That's right, that's right. See, part of this has to do with how we study worldview. Mm -hmm. If you're studying worldview to argue with people, you know, although that's part of it, we do need to defend the faith. I don't want to go too far away from that. And I'm indebted to Ravi Zacharias' influence by thinking along all of these lines. But we don't study worldview to win an argument. A biblical worldview is to inform the way we think and act and respond. Mm, mm. That's that's why we do it. We don't do it to fight. Now, we're not afraid to fight and defend the truth if we have to, but we do it to think through comprehensively what does the Bible teach and say about all of these issues in life. Mm. It is a final statement. What is the problem, Susan, is that I think too many of us have a little bit of a hybrid approach, yeah. and then we call it a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we hear stuff in our favorite newscaster or, or commentator or somebody that we like to listen to or whatever, and rather than critiquing what they had to say and, and pulling that through the lens of the Scripture, we have the tendency of pulling the lens of the Scripture through what they say. Whoa. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and
1: that is, let me just say, that is factually proven. We have research we've done that will show the alignment of your political party and the news that you listen to shape your views much more than the scripture.
2: That's right. Yes. If our minds, and now none of us are completely objective and we all bring bias to what we do, but if our minds are are, are, are saturated with a biblical worldview, then we are going to be too conservative for some liberals, and too liberal for some conservatives. Mm-hmm. See that we are not parroting the culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're actually speaking yes. from a from from a transcendent level of accountability. Yes, and so we've got to be careful. And and, and this is so very subtle. I mean, there just just because somebody one of my favorite commentators says something that I like, that doesn't mean that everything that he says is right.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's with the pastor as well. Absolutely, right? yes.
2: Absolutely, we need to be
0: filtering all of it and thinking
3: it's just too hard. It's just too hard to be that way. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to you think for me and I'll forget about digestive. the scripture. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. it's too hard, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were reading
1: the Proverbs and Lady Wisdom, Proverbs one, uh, this weekend. My husband was preaching on it. <laughs> Susan knows, um, and going, oh my goodness, like the simpleton and the scoffer and the fool that warning is there for a reason because it's so easy to just say, oh yeah, I got it, you know? And Mm -hmm. and that's not wisdom. Wisdom Mm -hmm. is wrestling and exploring and understanding and seeking to find the truths that are hidden. Our minds are very simple as humans, right? And we can't understand the mind of God so easily. It takes time.
2: It it does. But some of the people that have had the greatest impact on my life have been, uh, and I say this as a, a, a compliment, have been very clear, simple believers mm. Mm. not complicated they just took God's word for what it is they trusted, the source. They trusted this the source mm. and it's amazing the spiritual wisdom that God gave many of these people some of whom never went to college or any of that kind of stuff but the spirit of God enlightened their eyes and I I think you know God will do the same for us if we if we let him. We we have got to stop reacting to one another and begin responding to God with regard to these issues.
0: Mm. Is that how you feel? It's one of the ways that the church has been complicit in perpetuating, yeah, this racial injustice. Yeah.
2: I think we have been complicit because we felt guilty. We have, but
3: don't want to admit,
2: and we don't want to admit it. Yeah. We we don't we don't want to acknowledge it. So it's like a righteous high. Yes, either a righteous high horse or, you know, out of sight, out of mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind or of a thing. blow over. After you know, yeah, a while that's
2: or, right. That's yeah. right. One of the biggest problems of American brand of Christianity is that we're hyper independent, we're hyper individualistic. Mm-hmm. And so my my white siblings in, in, in the family of God sometimes don't feel like they have to be involved in these mm-hmm. issues because it doesn't it's affect not, their daily lives. It doesn't affect their, you know, yeah, And and uh, so people ask me all the time, so Crawford, you know, I mean, what about white privilege? You, you, you know, they talk about white privilege, white privilege. right? And, and I was usually surprised by saying, well, you know, we all have privilege. Mm. I got privilege. I mean, I can call certain people that will take my call. And I can, you know, we all have privilege. So the issues, not don't feel bad about having privilege. See, privilege is not an identity. Privilege is a stewardship. Mm. And mm. how am I stewarding the privilege that I have? Now the second thing that I that I point out to sometimes is that, hey look, the difference su- substantively, even though I pastor a church that is predominantly white and by the way, uh, I'm not there to prove that there's some great racial ex- experiment. I love the people and God's called me there and this yeah. kind of thing. you know I'm not there for that. I'm gonna say a word about diversity and unity in a second. But the deal is this, these issues of race, and racism, and all of these dynamics, if you're white in this culture, basically white privilege says, I can walk away from the conversation. Mm -hmm. It won't affect where I live. It won't affect my my view of success. It won't affect anything. And uh, I can't. I can't. My kids can't. My grandkids can't. Because it does affect. So what we have to understand then, and again, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody for this, you know. But what we have to understand is that okay. Uh, so where is that stewardship responsibility? Hmm. You know, let's take it away from race as a leader. And I've been, you know, in leadership positions and this kind of thing. One thing I've come to grips with is that if I'm in a position of influence, okay, the only reason why God's given me a position of influence. Is that he's trusting me to use that position of influence to underscore the dignity and value of others we're following. And so I'm going to be held accountable for that stewardship responsibility. Mm -hmm. So how does my power, my privilege, it's not about Crawford, it's a stewardship. How does that make them better? Mm
3: -hmm. Now that we are all sheltering in place all over this country, all over this world, isn't it amazing? that for the last 5 months going on 6 months that basically we can't go to church and be in these huddles with our friends that we have to think about stuff mm-hmm. you know uh, the the church at large is is taken off the the agenda and now with this virus this plague in front of us we have to
2: grapple with some things yeah god definitely has been using this time to isolate us, yeah, to sure help us to think artists. about matters that that we would normally just kind of like put in the back of our mind or flush mm-hmm. down the toilet as we go on down yeah. to our offices. Our or, yeah, yeah, that's God. right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it sounds like you're talking about opportunities as well that you're seeing ahead of us, and I think that leads us into our closing question here: that what are some ways, some opportunities that white Christians have to move from questions to change?
3: I mean, things are just exploding with various groups and uh, conversations. A lot of different churches and businesses are making these statements about Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And now people are are saying, "Now, what what happens next? What's following next? And so they have the opportunity um, to now be educated, to learn to listen, to lament. I mean, there's these different books and these little huddles that people are having. And then to engage with people. You have to engage with people because it's it's right there. Whether it's in the media, on our devices, or in the neighborhoods or whatever, you have to engage with people, or you're just going to go back to. I don't think things are going to go back to normal, so we need to put things in place in our churches or small groups and things like that. And I'm really hopeful, you know. I'm, I'm doing the One Race Movement, that um, course One Hundred One, and Be the Bridge, and then Weep with Me reading that. I mean, I got so much stuff to read. You got a lot going on. That's a lot. Karen always (laughs) has a lot going on. But you know, you know, if I'm, if I'm saying that I'm weary with people, well, I can show show them that you can use that. This, you can Google it and just have these conversations. And I talk about the three types of people, Um, the resistant people, you know, resistant people, you know, after talking with them after after a while, if they really want to engage in this conversation. And in my, Younger days, I would have probably hang out with the resistant people a little longer, but I'm not anymore because there's too much stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Google if you want to know anything. Mm -hmm. But the reluctant people that are just, these issues are being raised, help them and maybe take them along with Be the Bridge, Booklet, or whatever these things are. And those that are ready that says, okay, I'm I'm ready. There are those things that push them into that and churches that want to do things. And so we need to be able to do that. It's going to take them a minute maybe because it's going to take all of us a minute But be creative.
2: You know, I, I I've been asked that question um, my whole life. You know, mm-hmm. virtually, what what do we do? Uh, and I, I want to go back to some just very core, simple things that are, are difficult. I think the very first thing is to is to critique your own thinking, critique your own thinking and feelings. And this is hopeful. It may not sound like it, but put racism in the category of sin that breaks the heart of God. Yeah. And ask yourself, how have I broken his heart with my attitudes? All of us. I mean, black, white, whatever. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus died for sin. He didn't die for these excuses, but he died for sin. Right. And uh, so I think that's the first place to begin. Then the, then the second thing I would say is uh, love. And love means in the scriptures, as I said earlier, love means that I disadvantage myself for the comfort of another. Biblical love always is, is characterized by sacrifice. And uh, so it means that I need to take the initiative, to step out of my comfort zone, and to, and to be sacrificial. And the third, which is really related to the second, it begins with relationships. You're going to get burnt out if you just come up with a list of things to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But all meaningful change is a product of trusted relationships. And so you've got to develop relationships across ethnic lines. Don't do that as a project. Don't do it as a box. project. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, we did this together. We did that together. Well, you know, you you, you love one another. Mm. Uh, yeah, we say this all the time in our church, and it's almost a cliche. I mean, we, we you know, we're, we're, we're diverse and all of that. But I say, hey, look, here at Fellowship, diversity is not who you sit next to, you know, on Sunday morning or who you, you know, that. I don't mean it's who you do who you do life with Mm -hmm. and by the way one other thing we make means the objective and diversity is not really the objective diversity is a means the objective is unity Mm -hmm. and diversity is a powerful means to get to that unity but the power in the picture of the gospel is the middle wall has been broken down and we are united we are one And we love each other. And that power has a way of just making a strong statement to a watching world. And so we need to be the conscience of society during our moment in history.
0: Joining us today for the Race and Redemption podcast.
1: Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts and continue the conversation with us on Instagram at Race and Redemption.
0: This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.